Hello, everybody. Murder on the Orient Express, The Mousetrap, Poirot, Miss Marple, Death in Paradise. What do they all have in common? They're all whodunit mysteries, and you have to wait to the last scene to discover who really done it. And uh, it's uh, an opportunity to gather the cast together and go through each personality and find out what's the truth behind this story. So it is with our story of Ruth. We're at the last chapter. It's time for Poirot to gather the cast around and sort everything out in public. We know it's a boy meet girl story, and uh, we we, we know what we want the outcome to be, but who's going to get her? We think it's Boaz. But last week, we learned there was another guy in the way. Maybe it's going to be him. So here we go. Lights, camera, action. The scene is the town gate in Bethlehem. Busy trading, lots of people there. And along comes the unnamed redeemer that we heard about. Boaz calls him over. Then he grabs 10 of the elders, the leaders of the community, the tribal clan leaders, and they are going to become the witnesses to the evidence that's in front of them for this formal business transaction. Everyone's sat down for judgment. You can feel the tension, can't you? So Boaz plays Poirot and he steps forward. Naomi, who has come back from our country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it here in the presence of here, all of these elders and these people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you and me to redeem it. And I come after you. Now here's the catch. The fellow says, okay, I'll redeem it. Oh no, that wasn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to take a girl. Oh. Well, how did we get to this situation? Naomi, it says, was selling the land. Well, that's partly true. She had sold it, you see, to go away off to Moab, but only on leasehold. And the reason all land in Israel was leasehold is that when God gave them the land, it was held in perpetuity by the families. And if someone had to sell their land, when the year of Jubilee came, it automatically went back to the rightful owner. So Naomi still held the title deeds. But it was the duty of the kinsman redeemer that if one of those people were in hardship, one of their relatives, they then had to step in, as we heard last week, and they had to pay the redemption price so that the family could be looked after. You see, the word redeemer isn't a religious term here. We need to understand that it's a purely business term. And if you've ever been to a pawnbroker's, you've probably heard the term used. And of course, this other redeemer thought it was a bargain because 10 years had passed since Naomi had sold it, so the price didn't go up. The price goes down the closer you get to the Jubilee year. He was going to get a discount bargain for the land. But Boaz pointed out there was a catch. His little grey cells, as Poirot would say, had been working. Because he reminds the Redeemer that on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow. Ah, that changes things. 
and you then have got to maintain the name of the dead in the property. You see, the whole purpose of the law of redemption was to secure the family name and the possessions, and it was all about relationships, not about real estate. So at this, the guardian redeemer said, well, and I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. This guy hasn't got a name, but I'm going to give him one, Mr. Selfish. He wanted the real estate for himself. He wanted to get wealthy out of somebody else's hardship. But he had no sense of honor or duty to his own relatives. This impoverished pair of widows to preserve their family lane and to look after them. And the problem for him is that he was obliged to sire a son by the female widow of this clan and had to make sure that the name would be preserved. Now, this guy could have been married or he could have been engaged. But the key thing is that if Ruth had given him a son and taken the land, then if his existing wife or uh, his girlfriend of the future that he would like to marry didn't give him a son, then all the fortune and wealth he had from his existing fields would come to Ruth and her descendants. So he wasn't interested in that. It was a bit risky. He was only concerned about what he might lose, but not about what he could gain. You see, fear cancels faith. Faith claims God's riches, and God is more interested in relationships, real people, not real estate. And so was Boaz. So now the transaction can take place. And it describes that for this transaction, uh, for the transfer of property, one party would have to take off their sandal and give it to the other. And that was how they legalized transactions in those days. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he took off his sandal. And so Boaz said this. He held up the sandal and said, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Malon, and Kilian. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. And they all said, we are witnesses. You've got the sandal. Actually, Mr. Selfish got off rather lightly. When Moses drew this law up, the original provision said that the brother's widow will, if she's turned down, shall take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and then maybe give him a slap with the sandal for good measure, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family. Mr. Selfish should have been disgraced, but things had changed, and they made it more of a business transaction. So here we have the happy ending. The elders of the town give a history lesson. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Who were they? Jacob's wives, from whom all the tribes of Israel descended. And then the elders confirmed and said, May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, 
whom Tamar bore to Judah. Perez was, of course, Judah's son. And the family line then of Israel, but the family line of Judah was to be preserved through this transaction, and that was the blessing of the elders on the marriage. They saw Boaz as the obedient continuation of the Lord's provision for his people here in the town of Bethlehem, the great redeemer. And the leaders focused on the marriage and the relationships, not the land. So Boaz got his girl. But then why is it in the Bible? We've got lots of lovely stories that are love stories. Don't you just love a good genealogy? Because that's how it finishes. And yet, it's that part that brings the whole thing into such a critical tale within God's record of the Bible. You see, the story finishes with Ruth, where the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Isn't that interesting? She had been married 10 years in Moab, no children. Same with Orpah, no children. Why? Well, if one of them had had a son, they would have stayed, and they would never have left Moab. And so the whole history of the world would have been changed. But we read that Naomi brought up the child, who was called Obed, and she was her replacement son, and she said, better than seven of her own. She nursed him, and Naomi educated him in the history of Israel and the marvelous deeds that God had done in that nation and brought him up in faith in that household. But this genealogy that we have that ends the thing is where the whole picture fits into the entire Bible. Now, Barry will be exploring and reflecting on this story next week. But we're just going to focus on this. What happened next with Obed? Well, his grandson was King David. He was the eighth child of his father and therefore better than seven. And Matthew's gospel opens with a list of the same names that you've got in front of you about Boaz's family line. And it mentions Salmon, who was his father. But in Matthew, it points out that Salmon had married a Canaanite lady, Rahab, who was described in the Bible as a prostitute. Now, we think she'd been an innkeeper in the city of Jericho, and she looked after the spies and cared for them so that they could get message back to Joshua. But after it, she was spared in the destruction of Jericho, and she then was able to join the clans of Israel. And it's apparent she married Salmon, who, of course, was Boaz's father. Do you know what that means? Boaz was the son of a foreigner. And he would have been called all sorts of names you can imagine in Israel and around the town of Bethlehem, where he grew up. He was treated as a foreigner, a half-breed, half-Canaanite. And that, of course, might explain why he married a bit later in life. Because any father who was approached by the family to give his daughter to this half-Canaanite might have said, no, I'm not having any of that. Can you imagine the prejudice, the racism that was going on, the slander and lies? And yet Boaz is the one who steps out in this story as more honorable than all his Jewish relatives. It explains his generosity, his character of care for the weak, the poor, the, the foreigner. Because in God's eyes, we're all foreigners, and yet we're all his. 
Every one of us is his. The outcast, he, Boaz, displayed grace. He gave generously where it wasn't required. And that displays the character of the true redeemer that Boaz was painting in this picture that we have in the book of Ruth. So what is the main theme? Quite simply, it's redemption. What does that mean? Well, to redeem something is to buy it twice. To redeem something means you've bought it and you own it in the first place. But somehow it has been taken away from you. It's been lost. And there it is back again for sale. Redeeming it means you go and pay the proper price to get it back and you own it again. Bought twice. Bought back. And that is quite simply the meaning of redemption in its business transactions. But in this chapter, if you look down that genealogy, you will see that there are four redeemers. The first one, of course, is Boaz. We understand that. The second is what I'll call the anti-redeemer, Mr. Selfish, who did not wish to fulfill and display the characteristics, nor fulfill the duties and tasks of a true redeemer. But there's a third. If you go back, do you remember that reference that Judah gave birth to a child through Tamar. Tamar was not Judah's wife. She actually was his daughter-in-law. And Judah had three sons, and she married the first one. But he was wicked. He died. So the second son was told to take the honor of the kinsman redeemer on and to give a child to Tamar. And he refused. God struck him down. The third was a bit of a youngster. And so they had to wait till he grew up. And when he grew up, Judah refused to give him to Tamar. So Tamar tricked Judah and deceived him and pretended to be a prostitute. And Judah shows two failures here. Number one, he did not show the honor of family by giving the third son, as he should have, to Tamar. And of course, he was involved in prostitution himself. Anyhow, he had, through Tamar, two boys, twins, and one of those was Perez. So actually, whether he wanted to or not, Judah fulfilled the role of the redeemer. He provided for the descent, actually, of his own family line through Tamar. So there's the third one. But yet there's another great redeemer mentioned here. Obed had a grandson, King David. He became the great redeemer of Israel. They were enslaved they had owned the land. It was taken off them by the Philistines, the Midianites, yes, indeed, the Moabites. And they were in captivity and bondage, and they ended up worshipping false gods. They were sold out, the Israelites. David became the great king that won all the land back from the river of Egypt right to the Euphrates. He recaptured the country and bought it back for God's name and his people. But actually, I'm finishing the story, but there is a fifth. Look around these fields that Ruth harvested, that Naomi lived in. One day, a married couple ended up in those fields. And in those very fields where Ruth had picked up the sheaves of corn, angels appeared in the sky. And shepherds around looking after their sheep in those fields were frightened. But the news that God from on high was going to bring peace on earth 
was announced, and those shepherds made their way to where that young mother, Mary, gave birth to a greater descendant of King David and Ruth. Jesus, the true Redeemer, was born in these very fields. God came down into these fields and into history and brought his only son. God had created us, owned us. We were his. But through sin, we were lost and enslaved and captives, and many, many are today. But Jesus came down being born in these fields, and in those, he lived a perfect life and then went just a few miles away to Jerusalem, where he took upon himself all the sin of the world, and in his own blood paid the full redemption price for us all to free us. He's bought us back. We are bought twice. So the book of Ruth makes a great point for all of us that the gospel is for everyone, not just Israel, but the Moabites, the Canaanites. Yeah, us in Britain as well, all nations. And Jesus has become our redeemer. Is he your redeemer? Have you come to him and surrendered your captivity and your selfishness like that selfish fella we've read about and given your life and heart to Jesus? If you do that, you discover what it is to become part of his family forever, just as Ruth became part of that great line of David and that great kingdom. Yes, there is a redeemer for you. And let's all be assured that in this story, we stand back and realize Yes, God is still in the throne, and he will remember his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Amen.